0: I do my head my nails, Baby,
1: how you Head my nails, Baby how you feeling? Hey, you guys, this is Sarah Troutman and welcome to Reveal the podcast where we talk about incredible stories of amazing women and how they've used the best of behavioral science to find a pathway forward. I'm super excited for our guest today, Ann Chang, and I'll let her introduce herself. But she is this up-and-coming, talented behavior analyst that's working with one of my dear friends at Cal State Northridge. Uh, Ellie Kazemi um, runs this amazing K-Lab. I met Ann this summer when I had a chance to film her for a project, and I was like, this is a girl that has a really, really good story, and I want to hear more about it. And so I asked her to come on today. She said yes. And I'm excited for you guys to get to know Anne and her incredible story. Only know you've been high when you're feeling low. Only hate the road when you're missing home. Only know you love her when you let her go. And you let her go. Anne Chang, I am so stoked to talk to you today. I am also really stoked to talk to you,
0: Sarah. I'm I not going to call it and
1: say your first name and last name. <laughs> I know. It's, I like have this like weird habit of calling people by their first and last names. I do it with my nephew, too. I don't know what it's all about, also just because I love to say your name, but I can just call you Anne, so I'll just call you Anne. Okay, before we start this conversation today, I mean, obviously, we know each other already, but right. likely the people that are listening to this podcast don't know you so can you tell us a little bit about yourself um okay so i am
0: a second year graduate research assistant um from k lab Um, i am currently studying applied behavior analysis and um, my research interests are virtual reality trainings Mm -hmm. um and the reason is because um growing up, I really value um, education, because I want to say that I am where I am today, because I had a lot of amazing mentors who uh, have taught me a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So I think education is such an important thing that I wanted to make it fun and make it really accessible for people. So I think, and then I also really like video games, so virtual reality training is like the combination of everything I want into a nice package, yeah.
1: So let us be clear for people, when you say that you're part of K-Lab, just for people that don't know, the K-Lab is part of the Behavior Analysis Program at Cal State Northridge, which is in the fabulous San Fernando Valley, and is led by one of our very good friends, uh, Dr. Ellie Kazemi, who is a behavior analyst, just to provide slightly more context Um, So basically, you are like a badass in training, working with like one of my favorite like established badasses, which is Ellie. Um, And the reason that we know each other is because I got to meet you in LA this past summer. As part of a project, um, a course that I created with my very good friend and business partner, Ryan, that was all focused on valuing diversity, equity, and inclusion in our space, which is behavior analysis. And Ellie was just like, listen, you know, I have all these incredible people in Kayla. I love all of them. But she's like, I feel like you might really like Anne. And she was, in fact, correct. But part part of the reason... I wanted to sit down and have a conversation with you today, is because we have something very unique in common with each other, and that is that I am an adoptive mother of two kids. Both of my kids were born in Ethiopia, and you were adopted. um, At how old were you when you were adopted, Anne? Um, I believe I was adopted around eight. Eight. Okay. Seven or eight. Yes. And so you know, there's like some interesting stuff that I want to talk to you about today, just because we, you know, both live in this like world of adoption and play, you know, but in like very different ways. But first and foremost, um, I really wanted to have you have the chance to kind of talk about what were the circumstances that led to, to your adoption. um, Because I think this story, which obviously I, I got to hear some of this past summer in LA was really it moved and touched me. Um, And so if you don't mind just kind of telling everybody, like, hey, you're this amazing, you know, budding behavior analyst now in LA, but that's not how you started your life. How did your life start?
0: Um, My life started in Taiwan, um, a little tiny island next to China. Um, And I was born into a family that had I guess I was born into a family with two parents who had very polarizing upbringings and because of the really polarizing upbringing that they had they had a lot of disagreements about how a family, what family means, what marriage means and what raising a kid means Mm -hmm. Um, and like I guess the basics is that Um, My father's side, he is my biological father's side. He is from a military family, so it's really strict. There's a lot of structure um, and order in the house. While my biological mother, she grew up um, with an abusive father who um, gambled and had um, alcohol addictions and would um, abuse my uh, maternal grandmother. Mm -hmm. And so my mother wanted to kind of get out of that um, environment. So she met my father and she like, you know, they fell in love. They were together for like eight years before they got married. Um, However, I guess, you know, you understand how behaviors are especially with a long learning history, a lot of those habits and um, things that she had learned growing up, like mm-hmm. how to raise a kid, how to like how to deal with kids in general is not um, it's difficult for her to unlearn right yeah and also like at the time it's not like psychology was really big in Taiwan or education was um, really accessible so she didn't have the opportunities to um, learn how to better take care of kids other than the way that she was brought up and so for my father who was in the military who couldn't really be at home she he was depending on my mother to take care of me but Mm -hmm. because um that because my mother struggled a lot um there was a lot of conflicts within the family and um which resulted um with me being neglected to uh i would say a pretty bad degree i think like
1: you were saying like you were like go to school and you looked unkept right like you were yeah yes
0: it was i was bullied by um my peers because um i like all my clothes were like kind of mismatched my hair would never like brushed And, Mm -hmm. like, I would have, like, bruise and, like, I was clumsy as a kid. So, like, I would have a lot of, like, cuts and bruises. And so even then, the teachers um, didn't really like me.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, So it was just a – it just felt like it didn't matter where I went. I wasn't important or that I was considered the problem kid. yeah. I was a problem. I remember in, um, what is it? I remember in kindergarten and around that time, uh, my biological parents were already having a lot of fights. Mm-hmm. And I remember the teacher would tell me that like, I was like, I need to be cleaning my room better or I need to be doing all these things so that my parents would fight less. It, like, yeah. so all of it was like, apparently me, I was a problem.
1: Yeah. and. And I think for like so many people, and I think especially for girls, like we hear that all the time, like, well, you know, but if you just did something better and if you, you know, just tried harder, um, then things would be fine because the the problem is, is you.
0: Right. Yeah. And because like, I was the oldest in the family for like grandchildren, I had a younger cousin Mm -hmm. and she was, um. Like her family was um, better, I guess. Yeah, like more together, more put together and didn't have a lot of uh, marital issues and family issues. And so it was really funny that people would always compare us together. Mm -hmm. And then I would always hear like, why can't you be like your cousin? Look how clean she is. Look how nicely she played and Mm -hmm. um, how quiet
1: she is. Um, Yeah. Why were you like not playing nice? Were you getting into fights with people? Um, I think I was,
0: I like adventures, I like exploring. So I like playing, not like roughly, but I just like playing outdoors. I like playing with sand. Yeah, but she was like, Oh, I don't want to touch that because it's dirty. I want to sit at home, read books. But I will like going out and exploring and playing with dirt and understanding why, like, the insects that I'm playing with are behaving a certain way.
1: Um, yeah. So do you feel like kind of the way that you grew up was both, it's like a product obviously of like the circumstances to related to your parents, but also just kind of like who you were as a person was someone that was like not maintaining the typical like cultural norms that were expected of girls in Taiwan at that time.
0: Yeah. Um, I think that in Asia, um, gender roles are a lot are taken more seriously Mm -hmm. and even today the gender role still exists and it's almost like if you're not meeting those standards you are a bad child you're a bad person um -hmm. there's something wrong with you yeah and um it's just difficult for me in that environment because who i was was apparently the opposite a literal little opposite of everything i i had to be and yeah. so with that it was really difficult to process um and so i remember just feeling like i didn't belong in taiwan my parents mm-hmm. didn't want me my teachers didn't like me my f- classmates didn't like me and the only people, the only few people that, like, I really cared about and that I knew cared about me, which was, like, my uh, my father's mother, so my paternal grandmother,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: then my aunt, who is my now my mom, mm-hmm. and, like, my father. Except the three people that cared about me weren't always in my life because um, my biological mother took me away. And used me as like a pawn, I guess, like a negotiating chip for their marriage. So I was deprived of the few people that um, made me feel like I was good enough and that I had a lot of potential.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what happened, like what transpired around the time that you were eight that resulted in your adoption by your aunt and then your move to the U.S.? Um, so, um, around that time,
0: my paternal grandmother had cancer and she was dying Mm -hmm. and I was, um, there was like three wishes that she had before she passed away. And one of them was that she wanted me to have a good home. Yeah. Cause she like, sorry, I'm kidding.
1: (laughs) No, it's okay. I really, Um, I mean, this is, like, intimate, like, hard shit. (laughs) Thanks. Um, Yeah. uh, My paternal grandmother,
0: who really loved me and, like, you know, would tell me how smart I am and tell me how, like, pretty I am, how great I was doing, like, uh, how great I am at doing things. She understood that as a kid, I couldn't really do much about my environment and that she felt like if I had a better environment I could be so successful yeah um and so when she passed away she kind of asked my mom to um take me with her and take me to America and give me the opportunity that I needed Mm -hmm. to prove everybody else wrong yeah yeah
1: And so so how was your, I mean, so this is like what I'm wondering. So how was your adoptive mom able to convince your birth mother to allow you to go to the U S like, was that like an argument? Was your birth mom? Like, that's fine. Like, how did that go down?
0: Um, it was pretty difficult. I remember, um, being at my grandmother's and my aunt and um, I'm going to say aunt for now, my aunt and yeah. my uh, paternal grandmother would try to coach me like, hey, Ann, i we, you need to go home and talk to your mom, mother and have her like sign the documents or else you won't be able to go to America and like, live with your aunt. Um, and I remember, like them rehearsing with me trying to get me to say specific things, but I, I didn't. Want to say it because I I think even though I was a kid I understood who my mother was and I know that telling her those things wouldn't get her to want to sign it. So instead, yeah. um, my mother worked night shifts. So um, around like nine a.m. is when she's usually the most tired. So as mm. an eight-year-old, I woke her up around nine a.m. and I go, hey. Um, I want to go to America and I need to sign this paper. Can you sign it? And her being kind of sleepy and groggly finally said, yeah, fine. Sure. Whatever. Anything to get me back to sleep. Yeah. Um, and once I got her to say, to agree vocally, like, um, yeah, yeah, I will sign the adoption papers. I called, I gave my aunt a call. I'm like, uh, can you bring the documents over? She said, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said it was a huge fight um i yeah. didn't it didn't occur in front of me and like later i was i found out that uh my biological mother didn't want to give me up mm-hmm. um because you know i'm still her daughter mm-hmm. and she still kind of like she she has told me that like it's really difficult for me to give you up because you're still my daughter mm-hmm. and but she has thought about it, and she thought about how, like, her being a single mother, right? Because they at the time, my biological parent already split, um, yeah. or like, were separated.
1: She yeah. needed to work night nice shifts, uh, and there was shame in this in Taiwan. Like, being divorced yeah. was brought right. shame onto the family,
0: right? And then she, and if she had me, she would not have been able to find another person because bringing, like, at the time, raising somebody else's child is shameful. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like she can move on to a new family with me. That's just, that wasn't an option. Yeah. So after a long time and after me picking a good point to ask her, um, she was able to kind of say, I guess this is the only way. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know if I, I don't know everything that went through her head that got mm-hmm. her to say yes. But I am really grateful that ultimately she agreed to let me go as her kid, yeah, and to let somebody else take care of me.
1: Yeah, yeah. In a, and I wonder, I wonder about this for my daughter um, because I have. Uh, Court documents and records um, of her birth mother um, appearing in in court and kind of talking about you know her desire for my daughter to have you know opportunities in a better life and and to have an education and I reflect that I know that this has happened with you know millions of mothers all over the world in different types of circumstances. That have to make these like excruciating choices um that are done out of like incredible love. Um but I can't imagine like me being put in that position now, like for, for my daughter, like what? Like, you know, I feel like the only choice I have is to to relinquish um, you know, my parental rights uh, for my daughter because I'm worried that if I don't, you know, that she will that she won't survive. And that was the, the circumstances for my daughter or, you know, for your birth mother to think about, you know, gosh, there's all of these like, you know, cultural variables and, and issues. And, and if I have, you know, if you stayed in, in Taiwan, like what might that future be and understanding that likely you will have different opportunities in, in the U S but that means that you, you know, that she has to, you know, let you move across the world and be raised by someone else um, and it's just, I think for so many moms, especially like, it's just unfathomable to right. think about that. But I also think for so many moms, I think that in the same kind of circumstances, they would also likely m- make those decisions because I think like with women, I feel like there's just this, this, ne- or not this ability to be able to push Sacrifice? past, like, Yeah you know, and, and to do these things that are so hard, um, because we want better for our daughters. Um, and I, you know, I just have, you know, every once in a while, I'll just kind of catch myself thinking like, what must it been like for my daughter's birth mother, um, to, to make this kind of choice. And, you know, part of the reason I wanted to talk to you today is just to get your perspective as the daughter you know who also was older. My daughter was, you know, four when she was adopted. You you were eight when you were adopted, and so it's like you have these memories of this and how, you know, I think you've done such a great job of being able to look at this in with a really kind of circumstantial view of understanding the context of all of this, and also, I mean, and, and let me know if you think I'm wrong, being able to understand that your birth mother really did act out of love and in your best interest, and not because she didn't. She didn't want to, you know?
0: Yeah. um, I think um, when I was eight, I didn't understand all of that. It's because after I visited Taiwan um, later and, like, talked to my biological mother a little bit, I Mm -hmm. was able to piece together some of her thoughts. Yeah. Um, Like, I was able to kind of ask her about her childhood and understand how she was raised and then piece together, oh, well, that makes sense, right? If you're mm-hmm. raised with, here's some, here's like 10 bucks, go get your own food as a kid. Um, it's it's normal for her to also to say, hey, you know, you have arms and legs,
1: here's your money, it out. figure yeah. it out.
0: Like I figured it out as a kid, you should be able to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think. Um, as, yeah, as I talked to her more, I was able to also hear her frustration with her own family. Mm-hmm. And I think I was kind of able to see how, like, even though she's upset with her marriage, her life and everything, I think a little bit a part of her, or at least a big part of her, cared about me enough and wanted that cycle to end.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, no. That totally, yeah. That totally makes sense. Um, talk to me a little bit about what was it like when you first moved to the U.S. Did you guys come to L.A. right away? Did you live somewhere else? Um, so
0: my I, when I moved to uh, America, um, it was California. Um, it's San Bernardino. Mm-hmm. And we've stayed there since then. So my um, adoptive parents are still there. I visited them this weekend and spend some time with them. Um, So I've been in California since uh, I moved to the US.
1: What was it like for you when you first started school? Were you like, where did I end up at? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, I was really excited. Like, um, as a kid, I like new novel things. My mom told me that I've always had this, like, knack for uh, adapting to environments. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, like, I was just really excited. And it wasn't difficult to leave because in Taiwan, I only really had the sad memories. I only had all the people who didn't like me, all the, um, like, I, I see other people with, like, happy parents. Like, Taiwan was just a place where all of my traumatic experiences happened there and so coming to a new environment suddenly having a two parents who can devote their time to me and spend time with me and then going to schools where teachers didn't like hit me because i wrote the wrong answers like all of that combined mm-hmm. was just really exciting um, and I think the only weird thing for me was that um, maybe seeing the diversity of people that exist in this world. Yeah. Because I remember in Taiwan, uh, I only knew there's like Asian people, and by Asians, I mean Chinese people. <laughs> um and then there are also white people with blonde hair. That's the only two types of people yeah. that I knew existed when I was in Taiwan, but before I came to America, my adoptive mom, she definitely like sat me down and explained to me like, "All right, when you go to America, America's really different. You're going to see a lot of different type of people. Some people have darker skins, some people have like really white skin." Um but they're just all people. Don't be mm-hmm. scared. They're, they're all the same. And so when I came here, I was really excited to see like, wow, like there's so much more to what I thought it existed in this world. And so I yeah. knew that there was so much. I think I, it was. It's almost felt like there's hope. Mm-hmm. There's more to this. Which means whatever I faced, it, it's that's bad. But there's always good, so I can just always look for better things. If I'm not happy with something, I can go out and find something better because the opportunities are practically limitless. Limit, limitless, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, and also, let's be honest. You came to the United States. And there's also Beyonce. So I feel like like that's just like a game changer right there.
0: Right. And Disney.
1: Yeah. Beyonce and Disney. You're like, this is the best place ever. Yeah.
0: I watched like Disney in Taiwan and like they would show you like, oh, if you could go to Disneyland, there's like hidden Mickey's everywhere. And as a kid, I was like, oh, man, I wish I can go there one day. And. I did. One of the first places that my parents took me when I came to America was Disney. And I remember getting off of Splash Mountain and just started bawling in front of everybody. And my mom was like, why are you crying? Like the ride is over. The scary part is over. And I was just like, I never thought that I would ever to come here. And I did. Thank you so much. And we like, like the, these are tears of joy. I know. So like I remember the cast members were looking at me like, what is happening? You're like, this is like my best day ever. Yeah. It is the Until happiest place K-Lab. on
1: earth. Yeah. Until you joined K Lab and then you were like, Oh my gosh, now I get to have like my best day with all of my colleagues every day. Every day. Yeah. So so let me ask you a question because part of the reason I wanted us to talk today is because I do think that obviously you just, like, your your personality, your energy, your drive um, has really helped you to overcome, you know, kind of incredible circumstances. But I also wanted to really kind of highlight how we both have this kind of view of being because we are behavior analysts and really kind of having the ability, I think, to look at how other people... Interact in their environments, really based on, like you said, like they're learning history and circumstances. And I wanted to kind of like flush this out a bit because I feel like this is, you know, can be a concept and a way to kind of create and promote so much better understanding of all of us that I feel like is like really absent right now, especially in American culture. We're in like such, you know, it's like, like what are what day is this? Is this November? Is it November 9th today? Yes. Okay, so, like, we're we're just, like, you know, starting to recover from, you know, the election, and we'll have a, a new administration, and I think people are feeling really hopeful about that, but also I think people feel very raw right now that there's also, like, so much division um, amongst, you know, Americans, and then you overlay, you know, this, like, shit show of a pandemic on top of everything, and it's just, it just can seem like really... Dark, and I feel strongly that having a more circumstantial view of how we approach other people and really kind of understanding who they are as a, a product of their environment can really release, I think, some of the anger and frustration that we have towards each other. And so, I just wanted to hear from you how has that really helped shape your ability, I think, frankly, to forgive? Um, your birth family, and maybe if you want to just kind of talk a little bit about what it really means to understand that truly we are products of our environment. Um, I think
0: I started with thinking about like comparing my own experiences with what people are tacting. My experiences are as growing up
1: do you want to identify? Do you want to define what tacting is in case people don't know what it is? Oh,
0: tacting, like um, I think, I started with me um, describing, like comparing what I what I realized that, like with what people is, say, I experienced. You know, I yes. have teachers, adults um, who I respected, like, who are actively saying that. Oh, and you know, you're doing this because of that. And to me, I thought it was really weird because I'm like, well, that's not true. Like you, I didn't do that because of it. Um, I think uh, one example would be, I remember my teachers um, asking me to do like homework where I had to like practice writing alphabets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote it in pen because I already knew how to write the alphabets. And I figured, oh, if you write in a pen, it means that you're not going to make a mistake. And because I already knew how to do it, I wasn't going to make a mistake. So I just yeah. wrote it in pen. But the teachers thought I was acting out. So he, she's like, oh, I need to write it in pencil. But as a kid, I'm like, okay, but I don't want to do that. But I I will respect your wishes. So what I did was I would write one stroke in pencil and one stroke in pen. And it definitely took me way longer to do the homework. But I felt like, (laughs) hey, this is a compromise between what you want and what I want. And then when I turned that homework in, my teacher was even more upset because she felt like I was really pushing her buttons. Um, And she kind of kind of pointed her fingers at me and just said that, like, I was actively trying to make her angry. Yeah. And when I said, when she said that to me, I was very confused because I knew what I was thinking because, you know, I had those thoughts. Yeah. And I think in those moments, I started to learn that, oh, what I think and what I feel and what I do on my own time, if somebody else isn't here they're not going to know that. Yes. And once I kind of had that understanding of like, Oh, different people with different positions will have a very different perspective because they're going to see certain things that either I don't see, or I'm going to see certain things that they're not going to see. And so that's where the conflicts kind of happen. And to me, it's, I realized that like, it's not that I'm lying or they're lying. It's, based on what they observed, this is a conclusion they came up with. Yes. And so by understanding that, I kind of just applied that um, understanding to kind of everything I do and everyone I talk to. Um, And so I think with behavior analysis, that's essentially what we're – kind of trying to do right we're trying Mm -hmm. to understand what exactly is that person seeing what what are the influences around them that is unique to them Mm -hmm. that leads to them thinking behaving doing things a certain way and how is that different from other people and if we're trying to get them to get to a point like others or trying to come to some kind of consensus with other people you really have to kind of compare the environment and understanding the relationship between the environment and the individual.
1: Right. And I think also, you know, what we like to do in like, especially in American culture is we like to blame and shame people. We like to fundamentally attribute whatever they're doing to some type of like character flaw. Um, And what I have always loved about behavior analysis is I, it fundamentally allows us to To understand that, like, you know, me, Sarah, or you, Anne, like, might we engage in behavior that is, you know, rude or, you know, funny or bad? Yes. But does that mean that inherently me, Sarah, or you, Anne are, you know, terrible people? Or it's just like this wonderful – it almost, like, to me is um, freeing to know that, like, I – I am not my behavior. Do, do you know what I mean? Like I might do crappy things sometimes, but that does not mean that I am a crappy person. And I love that about our science because it also fundamentally believes that we can change. And if we, no one ever thought that anyone was ever capable of change or doing something differently, then like, why are we here? And why would we bother to do anything? Um, and I, you know, and I, and I see over and over again in my life and the life of, you know, my, my friends and my kids that we are constantly, it's like, we're these like living, breathing organisms, right? Like we're not in like some like static state. Um, and as our environment shifts, um, and we, you know, figure out things that, you know, we like more things that we don't like more or people that we want to spend time with, we are able to, to also change. And I think that again, like this is such a message of hope, um, that like, Hey, you maybe have, you know, made some mistakes in the past or like for your birth parents or your birth mother, you know, yeah. You know, some of the stuff you do is crappy. Frankly, some of the stuff I do as a parent is crappy and I'm constantly like shaming myself about it. And I'm like, Oh, Sarah, you're a terrible mother, or you shouldn't have done that. But I'm just like, how is that going to serve me? Um, what I need to do better is kind of recognize like the circumstances and the environment around me that is, you know helping to shape what some of the things I I do or don't do. And like you said, also understand that sometimes like when my kids do stuff um, that's like, well, you're just doing that to piss me off. Well, that's actually the problem, you know, maybe, but maybe not like what are, what are the environmental variables that are at play? Um, Just like how you were saying, I love that example of like, Hey, I just like did half of the alphabet in ink because from your perspective, you're like, that's a compromise. But your teacher was just like, you're just trying to make me angry. And I think that this is, like, so ingrained in, like, American culture of just, like, well, you're bad or or you did this to piss me off versus just really kind of understanding the environment Whoa. and, frankly, being curious and being willing to ask questions versus um, just coming to, like, some, uh, like, snap judgment that then is, like, a character attribute and then, you know, creates conflict. Um,
0: I would actually argue that it's not an American phenomenon. The story <laughs> that I shared was from <laughs> Taiwan. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think it's a human phenomenon right um we it's yeah I think this is this is true not just to Americans but to people all around the world that's why conflict like the, why wars happen <laughs> yeah um right a lot of um historical War, like I, I really like history because I, I like stories mm-hmm. um, and I like understanding why people do the things they do and I would usually ask my mom a lot of those kind of questions and she would just give me like long history lessons as to like why Chinese people are the way they are is because like all these diff like or why my family is the way that we are because of all the things that multiple generations of us have gone through has shaped mm-hmm. our behavior and all of that um and yeah it's it's really it, it's really hard to kind of explain to people that like most of the times people aren't doing things because they are a uh, like mean. Mm-hmm. They're I think a lot of the hurtful things that is being done is out of fear and out of um pain.
1: Yeah. And and then like, it, yeah, I always have said like I feel like anger often is like not the primary emotion is a secondary emotion and it's almost like a defense mechanism for what's really going on, which is like, like you said, it's often like fear or, or hurt.
0: Right. And like, for me, it was, I remember I would always feel sadness first because I would see how my classmates are, you know, their parents would pick them up early. Um, They would have like packed lunches and all of that. And I would go, how come I don't have that? And I'm sad because I, I know why I don't have it, because my parents are fighting. Yeah. And after a while, um, I started getting angry. I, I, I became angry that what makes my classmate different, that they get to have this really nice family, right? Mm-hmm. Like. What are, they, what are they doing better than I am? What am I not doing to deserve the nice things that I want? And I think it's that initial inequality, I guess, that makes people feel like something is wrong. But then when you dig a little deeper and you realize, but it's not me. It's right. we are equal. Then what's the difference? And because we can't always figure out that external factor, we become angry and we kind of project our anger onto now that person who has everything, even though they're exactly like me. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think like that slow progression over time get becomes. Um, it, I think it snowballs, and especially mm-hmm. when. People don't realize that there's a lot of external factors to why two people, same skills, same abilities, end up in two very different situations where one is having the best life ever and one person have literally the worst. Um,
1: Yeah. What is, I mean, because I know that you still have contact with your... Birth family, like where, how would you categorize your relationship with your birth mother and birth father right now? Um, I still talk to my birth father um,
0: mostly because um, through our conversations, um, he has expressed to me um, all the things that he felt like he failed to do as a father. Um, He has recognized that because of the choices he um, made, I suffered a lot. And I think that alone was enough to make me go, thank you for at least recognizing that I have been suffering Mm -hmm. Um, and recognizing that a lot of my suffering was related to your choices um and since then you know it hasn't been easy but we've continuously tried to rebuild this relationship to build rebuild the trust and stuff um but with my biological mother unfortunately it's not it has not been as smooth Mm -hmm. um and Again, I would say a lot of it is environmental factors. I think Mm -hmm. with my father's side, um, the people around him um, tended to tell him that, hey, you know, you've made a pretty good choice. Look, your daughter is now in uh, in America. She is, you know, graduated from a great college. She's now doing research, all these great things. And so my father was able to feel like he's made a good choice. Yeah. While um, the few times that I did interact with my biological mother, I was noticing that the people around her were not saying those things. Instead, they were sort of telling her that, oh, look, she is happier there now without you. And mm-hmm. that she is with um, your ex's, um sister Sister, yeah so they're brainwashing her and now you she's no longer your daughter and that um she's not gonna be here for you anymore you've made a horrible choice Mm -hmm. and so how and over time i've noticed that the way my biological mother spoke to me changed yeah. It, it even though like there are times where she was been really caring and I really like those times. Yeah. But as time went on, I'm not able to spend time with her because um physically being away and due to um time zone changes mm-hmm. and how she's busy with work, um I wasn't able to build up relationships, so I couldn't reassure her that I'm still her daughter and that yeah. I don't hate her and I understand yeah. that um, she's had a really rough life, and she tried yeah. her best. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think she's hurting. She, you know, mm-hmm. the marriage that she wanted didn't happen. Um, yeah. and now her child is not with her. Mm-hmm. And it's it's rough, and yeah, so it's. I'm just really grateful that I can at least still have my biological father to kind of talk to. Yeah. Um, and I definitely wish that maybe someday I can rebuild that relationship with my biological mother. Mm-hmm. But simultaneously, you know, I am also learning that I need to take care of myself mm-hmm. and that one of the best things that I can do for my parents is to live a good life and show them that the choices that they made were good and that um their child is doing well and actually excelling I would yeah say. I was like girl you're <laughs> doing
1: you're doing better than well um and that's again part of the reason why I was so grateful for your willingness to to talk to me today because, this is hard, deeply personal, you know, core of your soul type of shit, you know. Um, and again, I I think for me, I love listening to you because I just I wonder if this is like a window into perhaps how my my daughter might feel when she's older. And I, and I hope at some point it, she'll be able to, I think, have the kind of like grace and compassion that you can have. Um, for your biological mother and, and understand that it's like, you know, you and I both know, I mean, like life is not black and white, right? There's a yeah. lot of gray and you can both feel tremendous pain as yeah. a result of the kind of fractured relationship. But also I think have, because your behavior analyst really can understand the you know, kind of environment and kind of how what your mother might be hearing from other people is has impacted yes. her ability or rather inability to, you know, kind of relate to you in a way that would be meaningful for you. And, and that can be painful. And it can also be okay, because that's the way it is. And yeah. and I think having this incredible, you know, kind of well of resilience, which was like the first thing that really stood out to me when I met you in LA this summer, I was like, Anne is so strong, (laughs) so incredibly strong, and also, like, really warm and open and really smart, Um, and, you know, I couldn't agree more that I think the best, you know, kind of testament to, to who you are, to, you know, the circumstances that you were brought into this world under and really... To what you are going to be able to do in, in the future is just this, your continued focus on being able to like just be the best person that you can, do the best things that you can. I mean, you graduated from Cal. Um, and so what people don't know is I asked you for a headshot earlier today and you sent me <laughs> your graduation. <laughs> headshot, when you're holding uh your happen diploma, and I was like, oh Anne, this is so sweet. But I think we have some different shots that we took in LA this summer. Uh,
0: Yeah, I realized that I don't take pictures of myself. Instead, I take a lot of pictures of other people because I want to remember, like, other people. (laughs) (laughs) If that makes sense. Yes, it totally do.
1: Don't don't worry. I I have the perfect headshot that we'll use in promotional materials for this podcast. Um, But I, you know, I'm just, I mean, like, just hear from me again, like, you know, as a colleague, as an adoptive mother, you know, as a human, like, God, I'm so proud of you, you know, and I'm just, I'm so like, ecstatic to continue to kind of watch and and see you grow. And again, I'm really, I'm really grateful for your willingness to, to share this like very intimate story. um, Because I think it's just such an incredible example of understanding how having this, you know, circumstantial view on life, you know, having this background and behavior analysis has actually really helped you in your personal life be able, again, to, I think, make some type of peace with, you know, the circumstances of your adoption. Um, And so before we close, I want to like give you an opportunity. So, and I asked you this in LA, and I'm going to ask you again, um, where, like, where are you in five years? Like, What can we look forward to from the fabulous Ann Chang? Like, what are you going to be doing?
0: Um, I really, really hope that five years from now, I would be one of the top people that people come to for like virtual reality training and that I would be able to, I guess, bring the education that I was able to receive and Give that opportunity to people who typically don't have that opportunity. Yeah. I'm thinking about all the like. Imagine what my biological parents could have done with the things that I have learned. Right. Right. She. I. I honestly believe my biological mother would have been able to get out of her um, cycle of bad family and do better if she was able to kind of see the world that I was able to see and I think virtual reality training you know how people say like you you don't really understand somebody until you've walked like um a
1: mile mile in their shoes yeah
0: right like virtual reality is can let you do that yeah yeah, like I can literally if I want to recreate my childhood spit on somebody's like this is what I went through and this is whatever you're feeling it's how I felt and I think virtual reality is just so cool with that. Um, and then also another thing I kind of want to bring back with what you said, how you were, hope that um, your kids would kind of want to rebuild their relationship with their biological parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say that one of the reasons why I am the way I am is because my adoptive mom from day 1 when i moved to america continuously reminded me that my biological parents are always going to be my parents and mm-hmm. that the decisions that they made they're not bad people they're yeah. the my even though my mom's not a behavior analyst she understood that parents have to make really tough decisions given the environmental choices and so yeah. My mom spent years, I would say, until I was 18, just constantly reminding me that, like, you know, you're my biological mother, she struggled because all of the environmental factors, and that, you know, it's not what she in what my mother intended to be, even mm-hmm. though she did end up hurting me and stuff it's not what she meant to do and that I I need to forgive her and that if I ended up hating my biological parents, then I won't be able to be successful because then I'm holding on to a grudge instead of, you know, love and care and hope. And so I think if you continue to remind them that they are loved and that the the behaviors that they observed, you know, being adopted, being given up for adoption, things like that. That's a sign of love, not a sign of nobody wants you. Yeah, like I think that's really important. Um, yeah,
1: and that's and that's definitely been a narrative that's always been part of my family. Is just like, you know, your biological parents loved you so much. Um, and, you know, desired for you to have opportunities that they were willing to allow you to, you know, not only be raised by someone else to leave your, you know, culture, to leave your country, to leave the continent, to have Mm -hmm. these opportunities. Um, And I think, like, it's interesting, like for my daughter, especially, like I always offer every year, except for this stupid COVID year, um, like, hey, do you want to go to Ethiopia? You know, do you want to see your birth mother? And she's not like, she's not there yet. And and I understand that she's a teenager. She would rather go to like Disneyland or Hawaii, you know, she's like, or like, you know, just stay home and like, you know, TikTok with her friends. Uh, I'm like, it, yeah, you're a total American kid. I get it. Um, but I, yeah, I'm hoping that eventually that might be something that's interesting and it's always a door that will be open. And I also think as an adoptive mother, I've understood how incredibly important it is for my children to always have a sense of you know, understanding and, you know, that in our family, you know, where you came from is something to be celebrated and yeah. not to be like, oh, don't think about that. I don't think about those other people that, that that is who you are. And that ultimately, I think for all of us to be able to kind of fully understand ourselves, you have to be able to understand all of you. And, and, and that includes, you know, the painful parts, too. Um, and that, you know, it yeah, all makes up who you are now, you know.
0: Yeah, understanding the culture really definitely helped me understand the choices that yeah. people made. Like sometimes it's it they people don't really have choices because of the social expectations. Yes. And so once like understanding that culturally um have I been frustrated with the culture? Yes, but I also have over time learned that like in every culture, there are things that work really well. And there are some things that might not work as well. And the best way and the reason why humans are able to have gone so far throughout history is because we have learned to keep the ones that worked and then moved away from the ones that don't, depending (laughs) on the environment and the situation around us. So like, um, yeah. And I'm sure your kids will definitely um, like you're just so kind, you know, Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they'll like one day be curious about where they're from. Because mm-hmm. I, I definitely went through a phase where I'm like, I don't want anything to do with my culture because it's bad. But yeah. my mom reminded me that like I look that mm-hmm. and people are going to come up to me and go, do you speak Chinese or do you speak whatever Asian language they think I speak yeah and it would be really cool to be able to go yeah I do yeah and I think going to college I've definitely contacted all the right reinforcers so like like I've gotten enough compliments about how cool it is that I'm fluent in both the American culture and my um, Chinese culture that I I realized that oh it's cool to have diversity because mm-hmm. I can connect with more people. Yes. And like it yeah, now I get to connect with a lot of people who grew up in um, mixed cultures and mm-hmm. we have really similar struggles. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. like, I get you. I see yeah. you. Yeah. And the, that connection with other humans is beautiful, I think.
1: Yes and that's where we're going to end it. It is beautiful. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Reveal. I hope that you were able to learn something, that you were able to grow a little bit as a person as a result of listening to this episode, and I hope that you follow this podcast. We're on like every podcast platform. So it's Google, it's Spotify, it's anchor. And this is just the beginning of a lot more really awesome stories about incredible women that are doing amazing things. So have a great day. Follow us on all of the platforms. You can follow us also on Instagram at reveal.com and also on Facebook, which means I'm going to have to get a Facebook account, but I'll figure that out eventually. Have a great day, guys.